that. If you have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to start at tonight. We're going to be a little bit all over the map as we kick off this new series called Not Ready. And I'm so excited uh, that you're in the house tonight. It's going to be a great night as you are finding your way over to Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to start off by telling you all about the first time I got to go um, repelling. I don't know if you've ever been rock repelling before. I ain't talking about like uh, in an air-conditioned gym, you know, if, if that's what you call rock climbing. Hey, that's good for exercise. But I'm talking about getting out in the elements, y'all. And so we went down to South Texas. I'm, I'm originally from Texas, if you couldn't tell. And uh, we got down in South Texas, this place called Enchanted Rock. And, and we, we, man, we set out to have a great time. And, and so you're, if you've ever done anything like this before, if you don't know what repelling is, you basically just controlled falling down the side of a cliff. And so it's a little bit exhilarating. And, and if you know anything about repelling, y'all know that you've got to go all in, right? When you, when you you know, go off the side of that thing. That's no looking back. It's here we go. I'm all in. And, and so when we got up there, um, they asked who wants to go first. And, you know, I was like, Hey, I'd like to go first, you know? And so it's like, who's going to die first? I, I will. Anyway. And so we had like all the right rigging, all the right harnesses. And, and we had found like the perfect rock. I'm, I'm talking about the best rock. And, and when you, when you repel out in the wilderness, you have to set anchors and it's really important that you uh, have a trusted anchor system. And so it, I didn't really know what that meant, but the guy that we were with that knew what he was doing, like he was like, yeah, everything looks really good. And then we had these ropes. And so we start stringing up this series of ropes. And, and though we were with a good friend of mine, I was like, all right, I got all the right rigging. We got the best rock. I'm about to go repelling, but I need to make sure that this brother knows how to tie the right knot, right? Because you could have the perfect rock, the right rigging and have the wrong knot and it would be a miserable disaster, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you go off and then you you just ruined your life, okay? Yeah, I probably would have died in this particular occasion. And I share that with you tonight because we are kicking off a new series called Not Ready. Uh, it's a little bit of play on words, K-N-O-T, Not Ready, because uh, the majority of us in the room tonight, we are going to tie the knot, which is a phrase that means that you're going to get married someday. And over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to sit and see what God's Word has to say about particular areas of our life. And we're going to get to hear from some different voices about what type of, of man you should become in men and what type of man you should be looking for, ladies, the, the not ready man. And then we're going to look at what type of woman you should become in ladies and what type of woman you should be looking for, men, a not ready woman. And then we're going to talk about a few different things that you can put in your toolbox that will help out any relationship that you're in. But in particular, if you're headed towards marriage, it'll help out marriage. And here's what I know, that, that when it comes to marriage, you can have the perfect rock, aka that wedding ring, you know, you spent, you had to donate a kidney and plasma and all, the, you know, I'm talking about those of y'all who have done that. And anyway, like you could have the perfect rock, you could have all the right rigging. And what I mean by that is you can have the, the right setup, you can have the right people, the right dress, the right venue, the perfect wedding. But if you don't know how to tie the right knot, and you're not ready for the most significant relationship in your life outside of your relationship with Christ, then listen, it can ruin your life. And, and we've come in here tonight in our culture, if, if this is representative of us, our culture is kind of telling you the type of knot that you should tie. You know, you find him or her and, and you're just like, man, I, I found the one, right? You know, the one, the mythical creature that exists, like you found your unicorn. And, and so like you, you're like, man, and we were feeling it. And so we, we began just to start 
pursuing one another. And, and by like date three, we'd already picked out like the names of our kids and, you know, where we were going to get married. And it was awesome. And, you know, and so we just kept going on. And there was all these promises that were made. And we were like, he says, I am the only woman he's ever felt this way about, right? And dismissed the 10 women he dated in his past. Anyway, and uh, she said, I've never met a man quite like you. And, uh, and you were like, yes, that's right. And, and so you just started making all these commitments and these promises. And, and then what, what inevitably happens, our culture is like, you know, if you really want to figure out if you're compatible, if you really want to tie the knot, you've got to get in bed with each other. And you've got to figure out, like, how good are they? And is this going to be really, really, like, you know, we're going to have like sexual chemistry. And so maybe we should move in with each other. And, and so culture tells you that this is how you tie the knot. This is how you determine if you are compatible relationally. And you do all these things. And, and what happens is that some of you have come in here tonight and like this is like the picture of, of marriage for you or significant relationship. And you've done all this work and you've, you've integrated your life with another person's life. But, but when you kind of take a step back, maybe at your relational past or maybe you're here in a relationship and this may be indicative of your relationship tonight, it kind of looks like a mess. And I don't know about you, but like if you were like, hey, let's go repelling and hang off the side of a mountain and I'm going to tie the knot, I would be like, I don't know if that's the best knot that I'm going to trust, you know? And so we've come in here and our culture has told us a lot of things about how we should do our life. And, and, and then the church has told us a lot of things, but everywhere we look in, in our culture, like marriage and tying the knot is a little bit of a mess, isn't it? And so what's happened in our generation is that we have actually delayed marriage because it's kind of messy and I don't know if I can trust it. And so the good news is, is our generation is actually, is actually lowering the divorce rate. And that's good news. Like we've lowered, congratulations, we've lowered the divorce rate. But the only problem is, yeah, hang on. The only problem is, is that the reason why we've lowered the divorce rate is because we're not getting married. And so it's not like we figured it out. We're just like, you know what? I don't like to repel. I'm not even going to try to repel because I've seen a lot of people fall off the rock and I didn't even do it. You know what I'm saying? And so we're just, and, and the, the, the sad reality is, is that even though we, we are not getting married as much, when we do get married, we're really not that good at it. Like there's a divorce every 32 seconds in our culture. And, and the majority of divorces happen before people reach the age 30. And so when it comes to like marriage and significant relationships, like there's a lot of confusion. And again, that, that's outside the church, but that's also inside the church too. Like a lot of the, the church folk, we ain't doing a whole lot better job than the, than the worldly people, you know, if we want to uh, throw out like a us and them type thing. And so we've come in here tonight and I think a lot of us are still seeking like, what is it that I need to be doing in my life so that I can have success in the most significant relationships in my life. And so tonight I wanna to talk to everybody. If you're here and you just got married, I believe that you're gonna pick up something tonight. If you're here and you're dating somebody and, and y'all thrown out like the, the marriage language and y'all like, are serious now, I think that you're gonna pick up something. Maybe you're here and like, you, like you're just talking, you're just DMing, I don't know what you call it anyway. You're just kind of on the front end of a relationship. You've been to coffee and whatever. And so you, you, I think that you're gonna have some things and kind of get some vision. And then if you're here tonight and like marriage isn't even on the radar for you, like you have, you're single and you're loving it. You ain't trying to be held down by nobody if you th see it that way. And, and you're just, I, I believe that you're going to pick up something as well. And when I say that, that we are preparing to tie the knot, what I'm saying is that I want to give you biblical truth 
that will help you navigate the most significant relationships in your life. And so when I say tie the knot, here's what I want you to ask, am I worthy to be followed? And so tonight, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is Not Ready or Not Ready, right? And so a little play on words, Not Ready, N-O-T, or or Not Ready, K-N-O-T. And we're going to look at three things in particular tonight that some of you are not ready to tie the knot because you're not wise. And you're, you're not ready to tie the knot because you're really not committed and you're not pure. And we're going to look at these three knots, if you will, as we dive into the message tonight. So if you're taking notes, point number one is not wise. Not wise. Now, now the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about what we would call dating, but it does tell us about relationships in the Scripture. But, but it really is difficult to navigate, like, you know, some of the famous marriages in the Bible. Like, there's a guy named Jacob who... He, he, had, he had two women that he married anyway. It's kind of complicated. Like he, he swiped left on Leah, but he, he accidentally swiped right. And they went, if you know Bible anyway, they wound up together. And then he's like, I meant to swipe right on Rachel. And, and anyway, it swiped left. Anyway, so they finally, and then he swiped right, right on both of them. And then like our first, you know, like father of our faith, Abraham, him and Sarah. Like it doesn't say like Abraham was like feeling Sarah. And then he DM'd her, hey, you want to go to Q39? And she was like, nah, bro, you better call me. And so he called her. And so they went to Q39 and they was making eyes. They're like, hey, we should have a baby in like 85 years. And so anyway, like it doesn't say that in the Bible, all right? But the Bible doesn't say a lot about dating. It says a lot about living. And so I want to point you to uh, one, of, one of the greatest nuggets in Scripture. It's Ephesians 5, and here's what it says. Paul, he says this in Ephesians 5, 15. He says, be very careful. That's, that's a key word. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, this word careful, if you're taking notes in your Bible, you can circle that word. In the Greek, it's the word akravos, and it's, a, it's literally like a grammatical term. It, it's like you've got to be careful to, to cross every T and dot every I. I've got little kids in my house right now. We're teaching them how to write in cursive, and we're teaching them how to, how to spell words properly. And it's like we're, we're paying a lot of attention to the way that they're, they're navigating language. And Paul's saying that you've got to take this logic, and you've got to be very careful. He's basically saying you've got to diagnose your life tonight. You've got to run um, an audit on your life tonight. That he's saying that we need to be very careful how we live. Not as unwise, but as wise. A wisdom, if you need a working definition of wisdom, you could write this down, that that wisdom is, is being able to do what you know. Like wisdom doesn't need a high IQ. Like you don't have to be brilliant in the books in order to be wise. Some of y'all said, thank you, Jesus, right? That's me, right? Anyway, and so you can be wise, but you don't have to read a lot. You just take the the information that you have, and then you put it into action. And so Paul's saying, be careful and be wise and make the most of your life because the days are evil and know what God's will is for your life. And and so I want you to real quick, just thinking about your dating relationships, go ahead and audit uh, your dating past real quick. And does your dating past, does the performance of your past prove that you are a wise person? Or does the performance of your past prove otherwise? So think about you. Think about your relationships. 
Have you tried to tie the knot, bring two people together, but just made more of a mess? Like, I think a lot of us have come in here and, and we followed a lot of the logic of our culture, like, like this one right here, uh, man, follow your heart. Isn't that what Disney taught us? You know, follow your heart. And, and you, if you feel it, you should go get it, right? But, but the problem is, is that the Bible says over and over, like in Proverbs 14, 12, it says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And that when you follow your heart, it's not going to end well for you. And a lot of you know that, right? Remember middle school? Yeah, awkward laughter. Like, yeah, like I was so in No, you weren't. And you just followed your heart. And, and so you've got to be careful not to follow your heart, but to inform your heart. You've got to set the direction for your, your life. And not just listen and think, oh, I'll go over here and I'll follow that person or, or I'll give my life to that person. you got to tell your heart where to go. And so what happens is that we begin to follow our heart and, and oftentimes that will lead us to date people we really shouldn't date or that will lead us to kind of hitch our wagon to people we really shouldn't be hitched to. And so some of you have proved that you lack wisdom because you have, you, you've entered in a significant relationship with somebody that doesn't even believe in the Lord, like doesn't even love God. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So in Paul's day and age, like they had oxen that they were around regularly, you know, and so they had this, this yoke, which was like a, like this piece of wood that, that two oxen would stick their head in, and then they would walk around in a circle, and, and, and they had to match each other in direction and in pace, in direction and in pace. And, and if they didn't match one another in direction, you get the idea. One ox is headed this way, the other one's headed this way. One of them about to lose their head, y'all. All right? Or, and so they, if they didn't match direction, then one of them would lose their head. And if they didn't match pace, if one was just outpacing the other, then the other one would be behind and he would lose his head. That what Paul is saying is that if you are not properly yoked and running in the same direction at the same pace, then, it, then it's going to hurt your heart. And so don't be unequally yoked. And don't try to be somebody's Messiah. A lot of you think, if I don't start dating him, if I don't start dating her, they won't ever know Jesus. And you think that you're Jesus. You're not. And so be wise. Another area that we prove that we lack wisdom and discernment oftentimes is, is we just date without direction, right? Like we just, we, just like, we just like to date, right? And so we started dating back in the day and, and we can't remember a day in our, our life, like a season in our life where we were just single and content. And, and so when we date just kind of directionlessly, if that's a word, if we date without any direction, like what that does is foster uh, codependency. And so we've always got to have a man or we've always got to have a woman in our life. But we need to have clear intentions when we step into a dating relationship. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there's no vision, <clears throat> the people perish. Where there's no vision, the, the people perish. And some of my guys here tonight, you're like, yeah, but I just like to be mysterious. You know, I'm just, I'm just like mystery, you know. So I don't really like to tell her, you know, how I'm feeling. I just like to, you know, I'll buy her coffee and, and I'll talk to her, but I ain't ever going to let her know. <laughs> I ain't going to because I'm mysterious. <laughs> it's like, no, you're, you're a coward. And, and the reason why you're being mysterious is, it's probably because you fear getting rejected. And if you let her know that, <clears throat> that you like her, and she says, 
I don't like you. You're like, oh, man, like I can't handle this. But listen, great leaders, they eliminate confusion and they lead with clarity. And when you just date without any direction, without any updates, then what you're doing is you're, you're proving that you're not wise, that you're not a great leader. You're not being careful how you live. And what oftentimes happens is that when we follow this progression, <clears throat> we have this tendency just to give our heart over to people. And, and we've proven that we're not wise when we give our heart instead of guarding our heart. See, most of us give our heart before we ever get married, and then, and then we, we guard our heart when we get married. But God's wanting you to guard your heart until you get married, and then when you get married, give your heart freely. Proverbs 4, 23 says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so a way I think that we kind of open our hearts up is, again, we're, we're like date three, right? And, and you're, you're talking, maybe you're having dinner or, or, or whatever, and then like three little kids pass by, date three, and you're like, hey, what should we name our kids? Whoa, you know, hey, you may want to calm down a little bit. And so you start like pitching out early on in the relationship, where are we going to live? What are we going to name them? Two boys, two girls, one boy, one girl, all girls, all boys. What should we do? You know, you start talking and then, and then you show him your, your, your Pinterest page and it has all the stuff and, and he's just affirming it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what was your middle name again? And we give our heart over too soon and we prove that we're, we're not wise. So I was a Boy Scout growing up, and uh, yeah, holla, arrow of light. Anyway, and so um, what they taught us in Boy Scouts, in, in the rare case that you may have to survive out in the woods, they taught us how to tie a different knots, you know, and so you had like a sailor's knot, fisherman's knot, you know, a figure eight, all these things, and you had to do that in order to get your knot patch. All right, my Boy Scout, Cub Scout, anyway. And so it's just, yeah, thank you. And so you had to do these things, and, um, and so I remember like putting... <clears throat> Uh, this, this knot board together where I had to tie all these knots. I didn't know how to tie these knots. And so here, here's what I had to do. Like I had to ask somebody um, to help me tie the knot. And, and then, and then um, I had to seek out like how you do the thing. And then I had to do that. And I share that with you because if you are here and you're like, man, I'm not wise. How can I become wise? The way you become wise is the same way that I learned how to tie those knots as a boy. You, you ask for wisdom, then you seek out wisdom, and then, and then you do what you learn. Uh, James says this. He, he says that if you lack wisdom, you should ask. What he says in James 1.5, he says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Like God, There's some things that God is waiting for you to come to him and ask him. And maybe some of you need to go home tonight and say, God, would you please give me wisdom so I can become your man? God, would you please give me wisdom so I can become your woman? And you would begin to ask, and God's like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask. Here's wisdom. And then we have to not only ask, but we seek out wisdom. Proverbs 4, 5 says this, get wisdom, right? And get understanding. Like the, the place that we go to get wisdom from God is his word. If you haven't made a practice of getting into God's word, you are missing out on wisdom. And what happens so often is that we, we like to go on the justification circuit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like we read something in God's word and we're like, well, I don't really know if I like that advice. And so we start going like from friend to friend to friend, asking them what they would do in our situation. And we really are just fishing for justification, right? 
And so by the seventh friend, they finally say, you know what, you should just follow your heart. You're like, you know, that's good advice. That's, that's what I was wanting to do, you know? And, and, and what happens is that when we seek out the wisdom and we don't get the answer that we want, man, we're so crooked at times that we just keep asking, don't do that. When God gives you wisdom, you have to make a commitment to do what he says. And so you ask, you seek, and then you do. James says this in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And so maybe you come in here tonight, and when it comes to like your relationship, life, and marriage, like it, it's, it's confusing. Uh, again, this, this metaphor of it, of it being a mess, and you've tried some things, like, you, like this is you, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I, um, I, I grew up in a divorced household, and I'm, I'm sure several of you did as well. And, and so when it comes to like my picture of marriage, like I still remember being 12 and dad leaving, and it was just like, it was just the falling off and the, I would say the murder of my family. Uh, as I, you know, my family structure, nobody died, but my family, it, it, it separated and, and it began to fall apart. And, and then like I just began to see things unravel and just like knots being retied. My mom got remarried and she was married for a few years to a guy and I had step siblings, but then they got divorced. And so I'm like, what are we now? You know, do I call you on Thanksgiving? I don't know. And then she got remarried. So I got a new sister and, and then I go through all that and then they get a divorce. And, and now I think they're trying to get back together. I'm not real sure. It's kind of complicated. I'm kind of excited, kind of not. Anyway. And so when I think about marriage, I'm just kind of like, what is, what should I do? And so for me, maybe you've come in here like me and it's like, when it comes to um, wisdom towards women and relationships, you you just like, I don't, I don't even know. Women are a mystery, you know? I don't even know what to do. Do I, you know, I don't, do I text call? Do I talk? Do I not talk? I don't know, you know? And, and you're just trying to figure all this out. And then you look at your past and it's just a mess. And you're like, I don't even know where to go with this. And so when I began to pursue the Lord, pursue Christ, and I knew I needed wisdom in this area, here's what I did. Maybe you should do this. I found the godliest guy that I knew. It was like this blue-collar, middle-aged guy named Terry. And Terry, was a, he, he inspected houses for a living, and I mean, he loved his wife, and he still loves his wife. And he raised three godly kids, and they love Jesus, and now they're, they're all married, and, and, and their spouses love Jesus. I mean, it's just this amazing family, you know? And so what I did is I, just, I, I simply just got around the godliest person that I knew, and I just watched, y'all. I'm just like, all right, how does he speak to his, oh, that's how you speak to your wife when she's tripping. And that's like, okay, that's how she speaks to him when he's tripping. Okay, all right, so that's, oh, okay. Y'all reckon, oh, we eat at the table, you know? And, and I just start watching and I start learning. And, it, and then I made a commitment. I asked God, God, give me wisdom so I can navigate my relationships. Give me an example and give me wisdom from your word. And then I made a commitment simply, here we go, just to do what I learned. And that man, Terry, he's now my father-in-law. And I, and I married his daughter. Holla at your boy. <laughs> he didn't know that was going to happen anyway. And so um, here's what I'm trying to say is that you need to surround yourself with the person that you want to become. And you need to just observe and ask questions and seek wisdom. Because listen, God wants us to be wise. In, in wisdom, in questions, that, that expedites your wisdom. And so get around godly people, observe and learn, and then do what you see is wise. And be wise, paradigm. I think maybe another reason why we've come in here tonight, and maybe we're not ready to, to tie the knot, so to speak, is because point number two, we're not committed. Point number two, we're, we're not committed. I wonder, are you a, are you a committed person? Like, like when you give your word or your commitment, is it reliable? 
And if you're a committed person, what, what are you committed to? What are the things you're committed to? I, I think we, we've come in here tonight, and, and a lot of us, like in our culture, um, like promises are, are just really, really um, common, and they're really, really cheap as well, you know? And so we just, we kind of throw out promises and we receive promises and, and it, we, we just have this tendency, I, I feel like in our culture, that where we just, we continue to repeat believing the best about people's promises and showing a complete disregard for their past. And our past is the best indicator for our future. And, and a lot of you have come in here and you think that she should follow you just because you made some promises. And you think that he should believe you just because you made some promises. So you say things like, I promise, baby, I promise. That's the last time. Or or you say things like, I promise, I promise. You are the only man I've ever felt this way about. I promise, I I picky promise. I promise I love you. What the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14, 15, it says, the simple believe anything. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. This word simple um, that Solomon's using, it's, it's synonymous with the word naive. Y'all know naive, or, or, or think uh, gullible. You know, like when you say gullible really slow, it's, it rhymes with oranges. Did y'all know that? Yeah, some of y'all are going, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, my point, exactly. And Solomon's saying that the naive They'll believe anything. And listen, some of you are here, and, and being naive has nothing to do with your IQ. It has everything to do with your lack of experience or your lack of learning from your experiences. And so you, you, you believe people way too easily, and you're way too influenced. And it's the naive person that thinks that they can run off the side of a cliff and repel with a knot like this. It's a naive person that thinks that, that they can have a great marriage just because they have the perfect rock and they made some promises to each other and they show a complete disregard for a preparation process. And Solomon is saying the naive, they, they'll believe anything. And that's why in our culture, man, we have so many beautiful weddings. I, I don't think I've ever been to an ugly wedding. But I've seen a lot of ugly marriages. It's because we're building our futures based upon people's promises and not their performance in the past. And we don't need to be a naive people. And so we need to run a diagnostic on those people that we've hitched our wagon to, but also run a diagnostic on our own hearts. Are you a committed person? Solomon, he goes on to say this, that the simple, they believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. That word prudent, we don't use it a whole lot, but it means this, that, that you understand that life is connected. Like you understand that your present will soon become your past. And when your, your past happens, if you want it to be a present to, to your future, then you need to be careful how you live today. So just yesterday, I was down in Southeast Texas, and we were uh, both celebrating and, and mourning the loss of one of Chelsea's um, great uncles. He was like a grandfather to her. His name was Wetzel. If that ain't country, I don't know what it is. You know, Wetzel and Marceline, all right? And so they, um, and they had this amazing life together. And we're there celebrating. And they'd been married 62 years. 62 years. We get in the car, Chelsea and I, she goes like, she looks at me and says, baby, I hope to make it 60 plus years with you. 
And I should have probably said something different in that moment, but I was like, yeah, man, it's crazy. <laughs> and she's like, that's it? I was like, you know, I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I love you. You're so fine. You know, <laughs> golly, wow. But I was saying like, man, even just, I mean, to fathom six decades of marriage. Like, don't you want a commitment like that? Where do you think that that comes from? And the only way you can predetermine if somebody's going to give you that sort of commitment is to look at their past. That your past is an indicator for your future. Like, like do you, I don't know if you know this, but profiles lie, okay? But past don't. Like, don't you wish there was like a, like a uh, ratings and review section on Bumble, you know, where you like scroll down and see like, okay, uh, like he smacks when he eats or she says ridiculous and it's kind of weird but cute or, uh, man, he, like she is super low maintenance most of the time, you know, but he has anger issues or um, one star, she farts, you know, that sort of thing, you know, like don't you wish that was on there, but it's not. And so you can't trust somebody's profile. We'll always put our best self forward. You have to look at their past. So the, so the prudent, they know the best indicator of, our, of someone's future is their, is their past. And he says this, that, that they give thought to their steps. And what he's saying is you need to look at where you're headed. Where are you headed? What are you committed to? And the person that you've made eyes with or the person that you have, have locked onto or the person that you want to pursue, where are they headed as well? That he's talking about direction here, not, not Fitbit, how many steps they're getting, how in shape they are. Right? He's talking about where are they headed, where are you headed, that, that where you've been is the best indicator of where you are going to go. And listen, you don't have to date somebody in order to figure out whether or not they're a committed person. Like when I was um, first meeting Chelsea and we weren't even in a dating relationship, like I knew what she was committed to. And I knew that she was committed to serving Jesus Christ in the church, and she was committed to the Word of God. And this was the type of woman, I knew she was the type of woman before I ever approached her about being my girlfriend. And this was critical for me, because I wanted to determine, is she someone that I should pursue? Can I trust that her commitment is good? And so what I did is I looked at what she was doing, and she did the same thing with me. What evidence are you giving somebody in your life today that your promise is reliable tomorrow? That you need to run a diagnostic on your commitment. What are you committed to? The things that we ought to be committed to, if we want to become the man or the woman of God that he wants us to be, we should be committed to the things that God is committed to. And just a couple of those things is that if you're not serving, you need to be serving. The best life is when you're losing your life. Jesus came, that I, or he said that I came not, to, not to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. And if he is our epitome and, and he's the MVP of Christianity, we should follow his example. That, that we should be involved in community and processing life with one another. Like no man or woman is an island. And we need to get around a band of brothers and a band of sisters and allow iron to sharpen iron. So one man sharpens another. And when you commit to the things that God has committed to, it will build in you the character that you need to succeed in marriage. That Solomon is saying that prudent people, wise men and women, they put little stock in promises. And they look at people's past, their own included, and their performance. And they determine, is this person worth following? Some of y'all are here and you're like, 
who is this unicorn you speak of, right? Like you're like, I don't even know anybody in my circle. I don't know anybody like this. And, and so you're thinking, Chad, like I, I, I want to trust this, but, but I just feel like sometimes I have to compromise my conviction in order to, you know, get a date with her. I've got to compromise my conviction in order to get a date with him. And, and listen, let me just encourage you, do not lower your standards. Lengthen your patience. That, that it is way better to be single and alone than married and alone. And before you make that lunge called marriage off of that, that cliff, if you will, in the repelling illustration, before you go all in, make sure that that knot, that knot is tied properly. It's like our culture is just treating marriage like it's a slip knot. It has the appearance of holding some things together, but it's easily undone. That marriage in our culture, it's a mess now because it's become more about self-fulfillment and convenience and it's very contractual that, that you know, I'm going to prenup and sign up and make sure that, that when, when it does fall apart, we're going to be all right. You know, we just kind of predict our failure before we even launch into it oftentimes. But God has a standard. We're going to uncover it here in a few weeks that God wants you to be in a covenantal relationship. He wants you to go all in for his glory and the reason why the world is not taking our message seriously, if you know Christ, is because the church has not taken marriage seriously. And they're seeing a committed church, quote unquote, that is not committed to one of the greatest institutions that God ever invented called marriage. And so we need to be people of commitment. Are you a committed person? And what are you committed to? Uh, the last reason why you may not be ready to tie the knot Tonight is that you're, you're not pure. Point number three, you're not pure. So, so I have the privilege and also a little bit of the pain to sit down with, with couples and individuals on the regular, man, that are struggling with their sexual purity. It's like this is something that is so challenging. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 11, he says, how can a young person stay pure? Like what a great question, Right? And it just answers that question real simply, but not easily, by living according to your truth. And then in the scriptures, it tells us over and over the standard that God wants for his people. Like here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, it says, let there, be, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Some of your translations say, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Like God is not somehow justifying our, our, our sexual sin. You know, he's not, you know, like when we go to God, we're like, God, you know, brother got needs. You know, I'm 27 and I ain't, you know, I, I mean, I'm just brother got needs. God's not going, you know what, you get a pass this time. Or, you know, we, we go to God, we're like, God, it, man, I got, I mean, it's the it's, it's 21st century, God, I got the cell phone and you know, I'll be following on Instagram. And, and God's not looking at that going, you know what, that makes sense. We'll get, no. The standard has not changed, and really the culture has not changed. Ephesus was a sex-saturated society just like ours. And so often in sex-saturated societies, we just give in to our cravings. 
and we've forgotten just how fragile our purity really is. Let, let me explain it this way. So I've got three kids, if, if we just met, and my youngest is two. And, and two is a unique age um, because uh, they're really just getting like their own will. You know, if you've ever been around a two-year-old, I mean, the first word is like no and mine, you know, that sort of thing. And anyway, and so they're, they're so sweet still, though. Even though they can be a little bit spoiled, they're, they're so sweet. And, and as a father, like I feel this obligation to protect them. And, and they're little girls, and so I've got guns loaded all the time, even so, you know, and so like, I just want to protect them. Like, like there's just this innocence and this purity about them. And, and so like, I'm not going to binge watch Stranger Things 3 with my two-year-old, right? I'm not going to sit there and expose her to things that would, that would compromise her purity and her innocence. And, and, I, and I felt like this conviction to protect my girls, but, but then I'm I feel like the Holy Spirit was like tapping me on the shoulder. He's like, hey, hey, Chad, let's talk. I'm like, yes, Father. You know, he's like, hey, hey, you know how you like to protect your girl's purity? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm a daddy, yes. He's like, hey, good job. But um, why do you feel the obligation to protect their purity more than yours? Like, Like your purity is stronger than theirs. It was as if God was telling me, like, Chad, you need to apply the same protection to your own purity. Don't you know your purity's fragile? Like, like you could be the toughest man in the, in the world, but your purity is just like everyone else's. It's so fragile. And so, like, I, I share this with you because our, our purity needs protection, y'all. And, and we need to put things in place to protect our purity. Like here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, and this is just one example of many. It says this real clearly, you need to flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. And so what happens oftentimes is we start thinking about, you know, verses like that and and maybe you got like a concordance or you know something about the Bible. And, and, and so you start like looking up like what, what exactly is sexual immorality, you know? And we kind of start getting technical and we're like, you know, well, I'm not, you know, we're really not having sex. Um, like, we're not, you know, surely sexual immorality, that's like intercourse. And so, you know, you somehow like pat yourself on the back because you did everything except for the thing, you know? And, uh, and so you start like trying to justify why it's okay for you to grope her, why it's okay for you to get horizontal with him, why it's okay for you to, you know, touch these places, but, but because you never did that thing, right? And, and we get so technical. Like, I want you to think about it this way. My birthday was last week. Holla at your boy. Anyway, and so I want you to think about, um, like, the night before my birthday, my wife's like, Chad, I got, got you this cake. And I'm like, cake, all right, got it. And she's like, I need you to look at I need you to avoid this cake, all right? I need you to have no hint of eating this cake, and I need you to flee from cake immorality, right? And so I, just don't eat the cake. And I'm like, got it, girl, got it. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to bed. I'm like, all right, you go to bed. And I'm like, hey, what's up, cake? <laughs> well, my wife said, don't eat it. And so technically, technically eating is, is like swallowing. And so I'm just going to get me a little piece of that real quick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I'm just going to get me a little piece of this cake. And I'm just going to... I'm just gonna look at it. And so I got this cake and my wife said, hey, don't, don't, technically don't eat the cake. And so I'm just gonna smell the cake. Mm. Chocolate. <laughs> and then, you know, a lot of us, we just, you know, we just think, okay, I'm just gonna get close 
to it. <laughs> and then I'm going to touch it. <laughs> this is awkward, isn't it, y'all? Some of y'all going to a bad place right now. A cake. We own cake, all right? <laughs> I'm just going to, okay, you know what? I just, need a, I just need a bite. I just need to get me a bite. And so we, we you know, we start chewing. And in our mind, we're thinking, you know what she said, don't eat the cake. Technically, that means swallowing. And so I'm just getting me a chew. Just get me, give me a little taste. But we're good. I didn't, oh, I didn't swallow it, y'all. Just making a mess. I didn't swallow it, y'all. And then, and then we want to we wanna go, okay, you know what? I'm just going to put that back right there. C.S. Lewis says this, that, that sex without marriage is like chewing without swallowing. And a lot of us, we have tried to technically justify why it's okay that we're doing what we're doing, looking at what we're looking at, saying, well, at least I'm not having intercourse, thinking that we're being obedient to the scriptures. But the scriptures use this word pornea, and pornea is like this catch-all word that means all variations of sexual perversion. And when the scripture says to flee sexual immorality, it says, hey, don't even get in the mood. And if you get in the mood, you need to run away, right? And sex, like, it's not this gross thing. Like, sex is a good thing that God invented. He, he made your parts men. He made your parts ladies. Like, this was his idea. But here's what sin is. If you're taking notes, you could write this down, that, that sin is seeking to fulfill legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. That when you choose to do things outside of God's intention, listen, it, it undermines your sexual fulfillment. And so if you're not pure, I don't know that you're not, I don't know that you're ready to tie the knot. That little girl that I was telling you about, my, my little Anna Joy, again, she's two, and not only does she need protection, but she needs discipline, y'all. Like, she needs protection and direction. Like, if she had it her way, she would eat Cheerios and chips all day, and she would do whatever she wants. And so I, as a loving father, like, I've got to, I've got to give her direction and discipline. And I share that with you because your sex drive is like a spoiled child. It's like a two-year-old that always says, now, I want it my way. I want to do this more. And the last thing you need to do is indulge your sex drive. Your sex drive needs direction. Your purity needs protection. And maybe you're here, and, and when it comes to purity and you're, you're like asking this question, okay, how can, I, how can I begin to adjust this in my life? What can I do? And, and what, I would, what I would ask you if we were talking right here, and I've had this conversation with so many people, and they'll, they'll confess, like, man, this is what I did this weekend. This is where I went. And I'm just like, man, thank you so much for your honesty. And then I'll ask this question, hey, do you want to get free? Do, do you really want to get victory in this area of your life? Are, are you really tired of carrying the shame? And they just say, yeah. I'm ready. I was talking with a guy just the other day, asked him that question. And I, and I looked at him and I said this. I said that your sincerity, the level of your sincerity will be determined by the measure of your sacrifice. Like if you really want to get free, and I believe you, you look at me in, your, in my eyes, and I believe that you want to get free, 
but what are you willing to sacrifice? And I would ask you the same question. And so maybe you're here tonight and the thing that you need to sacrifice is, is that you just need to confess your sin. Like this guy, he was, a, he was not in a dating relationship. He, he's a single guy that was telling me this and, and I just told him, hey, you've got to get in community. And maybe the sacrifice that you need to make is that you need to get into community. Maybe you need to sacrifice deleting your, uh, your account on Tinder. Maybe you need to sacrifice removing some phone numbers from your phone. I was with a young adult the other day and he's in a dating relationship and the sacrifice that we were talking with him about is, he was like, man, me and my girl, we, we can't be alone. I'm like, hey, I get it. I said, well, you should have a conversation with her. You should let her know that we can't be alone. But I said, hey, but make sure that you tell her that that doesn't mean you can't have intentional time. And so y'all be alone together at the coffee shop. Don't be alone together on your couch. And maybe you need to kind of have a, um, like a, a, a POA that you put together, like a, like a purity POA, a plan of action. And you hit reset on some things. You go back to the drawing board on some things. Some of you, in order to sacrifice and get free, you're going to have to move out of his house. You're, you're going to have to move out of her house. And you think somehow that, that moving in, that was the best decision. But it, listen, it's undermining your ability to determine if you're compatible relationally. And it's not nudging him into a further commitment. It may be just undermining that. And so we come here tonight and we hear a message like this and we talk about the mess of our relationships and, and so often what will happen is, is we'll say, man, I'm a hopeless cause. I might as well just throw the towel in. We hear a message like this and we're like, man, I'm, I'm never going to tie the knot because I've, I've made such a mess because of all the mistakes I've made. And you feel like this, like this rope is indicative of your life. There's a story in John chapter 8 where this woman is caught having sex with a man that wasn't her husband. And she's dragged out like almost in the act. It's kind of this weird story and these religious rulers, they, they drag her out and they're trying to condemn her and they're like, see, she's a mess and we caught her in her mess. And they, they take her publicly and they throw her before Jesus. And they throw her down and they say, look at the mess that she's made. And they say, what, what, would, what would you have us do? And they're all holding rocks because in the law back in the day, they should have started throwing rocks at her. And if Jesus would have given them the word, they would have started to kill her. And some of you, you feel like the, the mess that you've made, you're, you're just, you feel unwanted, you feel shame. And, and if you were to be brought before a perfect and holy God, if you were to be brought before Jesus, you would be wondering, Jesus, what do you say about my mess? And the story in John 8 goes on to say this, that, that Jesus, he, he begins to, to lean down and he writes in the dirt. We don't know what he's writing, but, but one by one, these men that had rocks, they dropped their rocks and they begin to leave. And essentially he had looked at them and said, hey, if you don't have sin, then you could throw the first stone. And so they're like, man, I'm out. And then he looks at this woman and in John chapter 8, he says this, he says to the woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And in verse 11, she said this, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And maybe you're here tonight and you haven't been wise. And you haven't been committed. And you haven't been pure. And you've made a mess out of your life. 
And you think it's over, but Jesus is looking at you and saying, hey, it's not over. You can start over. That when you come to Jesus and you bring your mess to him, he can take the things that you made a mess of, and he can make your crooked paths straight. It's not over, but you can start over. I remember a critical time in my life when I had to get things right with Christ. Man, I, like, I knew the gospel. I knew that Jesus loved me. He died on the cross and he wanted forgiveness for me. And I'd made a mess of parts of my life and I'm thinking, man, is it over for me? Am I ever going to be the man that I've been created to be? And it wasn't until I allowed Jesus to take my mess and to navigate my knots and to unwind me. And it wasn't until I surrendered to him and received forgiveness that I was ready to become the man that he called me to become. You'll never have the marriage that God intended for you until you know God personally. And so what does it look like for you to sacrifice and surrender your life over to him and to trust that he died for you, that he loves you, that he has forgiveness for you, and then to believe that he rose from the grave to give you power so that you can be wise, so that you can be a man and a woman of commitment and you can live in purity. It's not over, paradigm. So start over. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you just for this opportunity to look at your word and just to see how you responded to sinners like me. God, I pray that we would be honest about the mess that we've made, trying to do things our way and manipulating things and circumstances and, and only to find out that we've, we've just made a mess. God, help us to admit that. Help us to come before you. and Help us to find your grace. I pray if there's somebody here and they don't know you, that tonight would be the night that they would, they would trust their life over to you. And you would begin to make straight those areas of their heart that, that are crooked. God, we're nothing apart from you. So God, help us to trust you. God, I pray for future marriages and current marriages. God, that they would be edifying and glorifying to you. I pray that we would date in such a way that you get glory people know that our life has been changed. Help us to be careful in the way that we live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Help us to know what your will is, God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.